Welcome to Anchor and Flank with Brad Mayhew, Episode 1. This is a podcast about operational learning. It's about making yourself stronger and smarter for the future by learning from the past, especially learning from accidents. I'll focus heavily on the Yarnell Hill Fire, where 19 firefighters from the Granite Mountain Hotshot crew died in 2013. I served as lead investigator of that accident, and I've spent most of my adult life doing two things, either fighting fire, and that includes my own time on the Los Padres Hotshot crew, as well as working for the Orange County Fire Authority uh, and other experiences. Um, And when I wasn't fighting fire, I was studying, teaching, investigating, writing, training other firefighters, um, working on human factors projects, and so on. So those experiences all inspired me to do this podcast. And the purpose of the podcast is it's meant for firefighters who want to learn from what happened with Granite Mountain and do something meaningful for the future of the profession. So initially, I thought this topic of operational learning would apply only to firefighters. But my non-fire friends who listen to my stuff keep telling me it applies to them too. Uh, One friend of mine said, Brad, you're trying to do something for people who work in high-risk professions. Well, she said it's 2021, and today running a hair salon is high-risk. You know, I never thought about it that way, and she has a point. So I'm mostly going to keep talking about fighting fire, but whoever you are, if you can make your work or your world better by learning from what firefighters went through, then that's awesome, and these principles are universal. All right, alongside the podcast, I'm also working on a book series called the Learning from Granite Mountain Anchor Point Book Series. And the first book in that series is Origins. I released it about a year ago in summer 2020. And what I thought I'd do in the first few episodes of this podcast is just to read some chapters from that book. Because just how that book sets the stage for the whole book series, it's also a great way to set the stage for what we're going to be covering in this podcast. And there's some cool stories in there that I know you'll enjoy. Um, And basically, so basically what I'm going to be doing is creating something like the audio book for book one, Origins, but putting it in podcast form. And uh, I've never done a podcast before. I'm still trying to figure it all out. And I figure this will be a great way to get a few episodes under my belt while I'm trying to learn the ropes. All right, here goes. This is Origins uh, by Brad Mayhew. Preface, questions for firefighters. How have we learned from the 2013 Yarnell Hill fire and the loss of 19 firefighters from the Granite Mountain Hotshot crew. This tragedy was a defining event of our generation. The name Granite Mountain has taken on a life of its own. We often use their name to refer to the crew, the tragedy, and the aftermath of their loss. 
As firefighters, we honor our fallen by learning from them. We can't change what happened, so we face reality and we find a way to make things better for the future. It's the most meaningful memorial we build. We would all want this if something happened to us on a fire. We would want other firefighters to do something with our tragedy, to do something for themselves and the people who need them to come home. So, how have we learned from Grand Mountain? How is our profession better? How about your crew? It's been nearly seven years since the accident. I don't know anyone who feels good about how we learned from Grand Mountain. Not yet. We owe them better. We owe ourselves better. Our profession has been stuck and we do not have to be. We have what we need to move forward. It's in the stations and the canyons and the training rooms. It's in discussions over coffee and warming fires. It's in you. But we haven't made it count for our profession. Not yet. We will. We are on the cusp of breakthroughs that will drive a generation of innovation. It's up to firefighters and leaders who understand what is at stake and resolve to do something for the future. And that's what learning from Grant Mountain is about. It's about doing something with the tragedy of our time and making it meaningful for the generations who will come after us. And it's about your crew and getting stronger for your next fire than the next one, than the one after that. So quick side note before I, before I move on with the reading. Um, so I've been working on these books for a couple years uh, and then published the first one last year, so 2020. So I think there was a line in there where I said something like, uh, it's been uh, almost seven years. Well, by now, it's been over eight years. So this is summer of 2021. Um, so I'll just, I'll just try to stick with reading you what's in the book without adding too many comments as I'm reading. Okay, diving back into the text. Part one, holding the line. Chapter one, warming fire. Summer 2016 in a smoky canyon in the middle of nowhere. We tied in our burn and we're holding the line. The sun dropped, and with it, the air temperature and fire activity. Gradually, we gathered up near the anchor point and stood around a little fire to get warm. And guys dug through their gear and pulled out peanuts and dented sandwiches and coffee. We sat down in the dirt and reclined on our packs. One guy had a jet boil, and a few had tin cups. There was a usual banter about the best way to make coffee on the line, and the pros and the cons of the good stuff versus the cheap stuff. <clears throat> and someone said, if you're gonna buy fancy coffee and let it sit in your gear, then you may as well drink MRE coffee from the 1960s, which was preposterous, which was why he said it and why some of us nodded. And someone else added, yeah, or gas station coffee. And then someone else said, yeah, or Starbucks. 
and everybody nodded for that. We settled in and we put on our beanies and down jackets. And after a while, we talked about a recent run-in with another crew who was burning off. And we went back and forth over who was where, who heard what, where the other crew was from. Everything worked out in the end. But I think it's good we go over stuff like that. It makes us better at fire and risk. And we will be sharper next time because we learned from last time. I believe accidents and close calls are not that far apart. There is a thin red line between them. It's made of inches, seconds, and chance. And sometimes you can't see it except in hindsight. Fire is dangerous, and we are not invincible. And that's why we look out for each other, and why we learn what we can from the past. So we keep getting better and stronger. That's what we do. Sitting around our little warming fire, I thought back to the Granite Mountain hotshots. They just had an anniversary. I thought about how they almost made it. I thought about times that we almost didn't. And my mind flipped back and forth between images in them and the guys in front of me cracking twigs and tossing them on the fire. Sunburned faces smudged with dirt and ash and big smiles. For a while, we talked about epic surf trips that were absolutely going to happen that winter and whose girlfriend was totally going to leave them first. And we bounced rocks off the guy's hard hat who was already snoring. There was a lot I did not know about Granite Mountain that night. Looking at my crew, I did know this. We are not made from different stuff than them. We're just men, just firefighters, just like them. And we're not immune to what happened. But I wasn't sure what we learned from their accident, how we took their story and made ourselves stronger. I wasn't even sure what the lessons were supposed to be. I swirled my canteen, trying to mix instant coffee with cool, stubborn water, and threw a few rocks into the smoky canyon below. What did we learn from Grand Mountain? Pebbles. Dinking off my hard hat woke me before sunrise. Mayhem, I heard. Yeah, I said. And before I opened my eyes, I knew the guys around the fire had a cup of coffee in one hand. And in their other hand, their throwing hand, they'd have dirt clods and mischievous pebbles ready for the hard hat of the still not up yet guy, which today was me. I opened my eyes just in time, and everyone looked suddenly casual, eyes darting to the fire or smiling at the distant horizon, dropping their pebbles as secretly as they could, and I heard three hit the dirt. No, four. Hey, Mayhem, you want coffee? Yeah, brother, thanks, I said, stretching for the cup, already headed my way. And before the sun got above the ridge, we were packing our gear and getting ready to move. 
last night's question about what we learned from Granite Mountain, that was a dull whisper in the back of my mind. I shoved it aside and we hiked out. I avoided that question as best I could, but it kept catching up to me. Like when you have a jagged rock deep in your boot and you don't feel it because you're working. And sometimes it just digs into the bone of your foot and you can't ignore it. It was like that for me for about a year. Sometimes I'd look around at my crew and gnawing in the pit of my stomach, I'd wonder, what if something happened to us tomorrow? And it's something we could have already learned from Granite Mountain, but we didn't. Chapter two, blank page. Summer, 2017, Orange County, California. I had to score up to that question sooner or later. Around the next Granite Mountain anniversary, we had a local fire near our station in Tribuco Canyon. And when we got back, I pulled out a piece of white paper out of the printer. My hands still dirty. I went out to the garage and wrote at the top what we learned from the 2013 Yarnell Hill fire. And I sat there ready to list things. Nothing came. I underlined the heading. Didn't help. So I underlined it again, but still nothing. Weeks later, the paper was still blank. I called people around the country different levels of leadership, different agencies, but nobody had an answer. And that felt wrong. I thought there should be more on that page than smudges of grease and sap and ash. Chapter three, the tragedy of our time. The Yarnell Hill fire was the JFK event of our generation. It was unprecedented in many ways, and it was a watershed moment for the American Fire Service. This was the greatest loss of American firefighters in any event since September 11, 2001. As far as wildland firefighter fatalities, our last double-digit wildland firefighter fatality was the 1994 South Canyon Fire, where we lost 14. Before that was the 1966 Loop Fire, where we lost 12. But never in history did we lose an entire hotshot crew. Chapter 4, Hotshots and the American Fire Service. Interagency hotshot crews, also known as IHCs, are 20-person teams that have attained the highest standards of any wildland fire crew. The media sometimes calls them elite or the special forces of firefighting. The hotshots I know aren't comfortable with that kind of praise. They don't want it. They just want to get to their next fire. And although most firefighting units are tied to a geographical area, hotshots are a national resource. During summer, they spend months on the road, chasing fires as different regions heat up around the country. Hotshots drive, fly, boat, and hike. Let me start that sentence again. Hotshots often work in remote locations 
which they drive, fly, boat, and hike to. Mostly they hike. They're expected to be self-sufficient, which means being able to spend the night in the field wherever they happen to be working, regardless of conditions. And we usually call that spiking out or coyoteing or coyote out. And the conditions are often rugged. They often find themselves working the gnarliest assignments, fighting fire on steep hillsides with just chainsaws and hand tools. Each Hacha crew has a distinct personality, but most share an Old West blue-collar work ethic. Now, who joins these crews? Well, some wanted physical work after playing sports in high school or growing up on a ranch. Some wanted a way to serve their country without joining the military. Some joined the military, and then after they got out, they wanted camaraderie. Some were just people that love the outdoors and want to protect it. Or they started finding a summer job, started fighting fire. Or they started fighting fire as a summer job while in college and decided they liked it better than studying. A surprising number of hotshots have degrees that they hide. Nearly all of them spend their free time in nature surfing, snowboarding, hunting, or rock climbing. The first four hotshot crews appeared in the late 1940s with the influx of men coming home from World War II. These experimental crews were created on four forests in Southern California, the Los Padres, Angeles, San Bernardino, and Cleveland National Forests. Today, there are just over 100 hotshot crews nationwide. Since the beginning, they have been at the forefront of innovation. And due to their culture and esprit de corps, hotshots have earned a reputation as the peak of excellence in wildland firefighting. But wildland fire is only one niche within the greater American fire service. Our country has over 30,000 fire departments. Each one has their own story about where they came from, the community they serve, and the emergency responses they specialize in, including, for example, structure fires, wildland fires, haz hazardous materials, technical rescue, urban search and rescue, wilderness rescue, aircraft rescue, medical, lifeguards, the list goes on and on and on. These agencies and specialties uh, all have their own subcultures, and some are more in a silo than others. Usually, firefighter accidents relate only to a specific firefighting subculture. So usually our accidents, for example, you would categorize it, oh, that was a wildland fire accident, or that was a, that was a structure fire accident. But the Yarnell Hill Fire defies our usual divisions. It wasn't a hotshot fire. It was an interagency fire. And it wasn't a wildland accident. It was a wildland urban interface accident. So wherever you work, whatever your specialty, this event has something to say to you. Ultimately, it's all about humans and crews making decisions together about risk and trying to serve a community. The Yarnell Hill Fire speaks to the entire American Fire Service. All right, we will stop there and put the book down.
for this episode. And we'll pick back up at Origins Chapter 5 in the next episode. Like I mentioned before, uh, I released this book about a year ago. And as I'm rereading it now, there's a line that, that really stands out. And that's the phrase about how risk is like a thin red line. The thin red line of risk. And you don't always know you're over it till you look back and it's too late. And here's what the text uh, says. I believe accidents and close calls are not that far apart. There is a thin red line between them. It's made of inches, seconds, and chance. Sometimes you can't see it except in hindsight. Fire is dangerous. So, thin red line of risk. What do you think of that concept? Does it ring true to you? Because a lot of times we talk like risk is some simple black and white thing. And, and sometimes it is. But when we're talking about wildland fire, sometimes you just have to make decisions with what you know in the moment. And after the fact, it's really easy to say what you wish you would have done. But in the moment, you're in the middle of it. So what do you think? Is risk always black and white? Or sometimes is it more like that thin red line? Thin red line of risk. All right, we'll end there. See you in episode two.